you guys open up to Romans chapter 8, you know where we are if you have been following. No, no new people here tonight, huh? Well, then all you guys know where we are. Romans chapter 8, we are in verse 29. We are going to be looking at verse 29 tonight, and we're really going to, to spend a lot of time on one particular word. But before we do that, I want us to understand some things. Remember, we're looking... Uh, at the order salutis, or the order of salvation, um, so that we can have a deeper understanding of that. Um, and let me say this. You didn't have to understand the order salutis to be saved. Um, no person is going to have to understand this so that they can come to Christ. It's a work that God does. We've seen that over and over and over again. But it's good to be able to understand it theologically, soteriologically, as we look at uh, the teachings of the Word of God. Uh, because many mistakenly and I do say mistakenly, believe that salvation starts when they walk an aisle, or when they pray a prayer, or when they go through a confirmation class, or they take their first communion, or they get baptized, uh, whatever it is that humans use to mark the beginning of salvation. However, that's not true. None of those things actually mark the beginning of salvation. By this time, we ought to know that we were saved before the foundations of the earth. And the word that we're going to talk about today is going to help us to understand how. Um, how were we really saved before the foundations of the earth? And we're going to see that this particular word is, in all reality, the starting place in the Ordo Salutis. It is the starting place of salvation. It is the beginning of what we called and what theologians have called forever the golden chain of salvation. So, what I want to do is I want to start at the Order Salutis where the Bible says the Order Salutis starts. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you this. It started way before you ever got in on it. Um, and it's important that we see that. And how, I told you last week, how you define this next word is really going to decide how you interpret Scripture in light of soteriology or soteriolo soteriology in light of Scripture. Um, and so... In understanding this word properly, um, theologically proper, uh, you will be able to then understand salvation in a proper context. Uh, many people are twisting and perverting and even suppressing uh, the word foreknowledge, and that's the word that we're going to look at a lot tonight. Uh, they're perverting it, perverting the foreknowledge of God in order to diminish the doctrine of God's unconditional election. For whatever reason, people don't like God's unconditional election. Me, however, I see that it is scripturally important to see God's unconditional election. Meaning this, if God so foreknew me, then He's going to carry out everything. He is truly the author and the finisher of the faith. And so, when we see that, we can have great confidence that He who has begun this great work in us will, as Scripture says, carry it unto completion. So, many people who don't like the idea of unconditional election, they change and tweak um, the meaning of foreknowledge. We'll talk about that in a moment. But when they tweak it and when they change it to fit what they don't like, they actually move from monergism, like we talked about last week, to synergism, they have a tendency to move from a more Calvinistic to a more Armenian approach. And frankly, it's an unbiblical approach in their understanding of how they define and or interpret the word foreknowledge. Um, so we're going to look at that tonight and to see the dangers of changing foreknowledge and what it really means not seeing what it scripturally means, not seeing that it is the starting place of salvation. Uh, because when we dilute foreknowledge, what we do is we actually diminish the very attributes of God that we see throughout all of Scripture. Uh, we diminish His attributes, His sovereignty, His eternal omnipotence, His supreme role and rule over everything, including salvation. So I want to make sure that we have a clear um, definition and understanding of foreknowledge. In order to do that, you, you guys know how I approach things many times. I'm going to tell you what foreknowledge is not. I'm going to take the bad definitions of foreknowledge and tell you why those definitions are bad, and those teachings on foreknowledge, why they are 
inaccurate according to Scripture before we look at what the Bible says. So, foreknowledge is not, if you want to write this down, you can. Foreknowledge is not God having looked into time and seeing man make a good decision to believe or follow Him and then crediting man with righteousness based on the fact that he saw in time that man was going to do right. And the problem with that is that's work salvation. If foreknowledge, where we see the order salutis is starting here, if foreknowledge is God looking in time to see you make a good decision, Ephesians 2.8.9 no longer is relevant. It's no longer grace through faith and that alone. It is you doing something and God seeing what you're doing and honoring you for your good idea. Um, again, it's work salvation. It diminishes completely the sovereignty of God in salvation. It erases God as the justifier of the wicked, the justifier of sinners. Uh, because what it does, it puts God in a position of waiting on man to make the right choice. The scary thing about this ideology that Foreknowledge is just God seeing into time. I want you to understand this. God does not have to see into time. God already knows everything. He is above and beyond time. He has orchestrated everything from beginning to end by His sovereign will, decree, and power. Period. So a person to say that foreknowledge, and let me just tell you this, in the Armenian world it is a very common explanation. That foreknowledge is simply God looking into time and seeing that you desired to choose Him to be saved and then He went back and retrofitted His foreknowledge of you based on the fact that He looked into time. Now, what's preposterous about that is God doesn't have to do that. Um, He knows the number of your days before the first one is ever lived out. He has already seen everything. So that first idea of foreknowledge, bad idea, it's not what foreknowledge is. We're going to see why that's important. We're going to see that this text can't even be interpreted like that if you interpret it correctly. But the second thing that we see a lot of times is the idea that God predestined people only because He knew that they would believe. Again, the problem with that is it erases, again, the sovereignty of God. And it makes salvation works again. A lot of people don't like the word predestination or election or foreknowledge. And they all go together. And so what they have to do is they have to attack them all at the same time. I have people all the time who say, well, I just don't like the idea of predestination. Okay, that doesn't change the truth of predestination. I don't like the idea of of God being in control of everything. Okay, that's fine. You don't like that. But that doesn't change the fact that God is in control of everything. So what foreknowledge is not, it's not God having to look into time and seeing man make a good decision to believe or to follow him. Uh, It's not that. Or God didn't look into time and see you pray that little prayer and walk that little aisle and do all the things that you do and then give you foreknowledge or election. And then He didn't predestine you based upon what you would do in the future that you would believe. That wouldn't be predestination at all. At all, That would be His response to you. And I want you to understand this. God does not respond to us. He doesn't respond to us. When we talk about soteriology, soteriology is our response to God. And we are able to make the right response only because God has allowed us in His sovereign power to make the right response. Beforehand, we could not. We were without hope, without God. We were unrighteous, all of us. None of us were righteous. We had all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've talked about all these things. However, many people, because they don't like God's unconditional election, have to take foreknowledge and they have to make it say something else. So what they do is they make God's election conditional by changing the definition of foreknowledge. God will predestine me if in time I make the right choice. 
He will retrofit that all the way back into eternity past and credit me with salvation. Unfortunately, you in your own power could never make the right choice. You couldn't do the right thing. You couldn't come to faith in Jesus Christ without God. What does he say in his word? Drawing you. So, we've seen the bad ideas about foreknowledge. When you hear somebody talk about foreknowledge and they start talking in these terms, I'm going to show you tonight, it's not biblical, can't be biblical. We're going to look at the very structure of this next verse, and we're going to go, how could they even think that? And I'll tell you why. Because they don't read the Bible. They don't study what the Scripture really says. Um, God's foreknowledge is so much more than knowing information beforehand. It's not like God is some carnival sideshow uh, spectacle where He can read your mind or tell you your birthday or tell you how old you are. It's not like that. He doesn't even have to think on those things. Those things are known because He is God and He knows all things without even having to put effort into it. He knows. So foreknowledge is not uh, just those things that people want to define it as. It's much more than that. More than just a knowledge beforehand. Uh, it's actually to know someone intimately before time and before that someone or something's existence as we understand time. That means this, that God, before time, knows us. Now, the Greek word, and I'll bore you with a little Greek, is we know that knowledge is gnosko. You've heard me talk about that on Sunday mornings. You've heard me talk about that in these studies. Foreknowledge is pro-gnosko, which means to foreordain or to foreknow. And it is the term that is a term of affection and intimacy. Uh, just like gnosko, is a term of intimacy. You would say that I married this woman and then we went in to consummate our wedding vows and now I know her in a biblical sense. That's gnosko. That is that intimate, affectionate knowledge. And so when we put that together with the first part of that pronoun, pro, pro gnosko is to for know you or to know you intimately beforehand and to ordain that you come to that love and into that relationship. So that's where we see election and predestination comes in with foreknowledge. So it's God's desire uh, to intimately know us before the foundations of the earth. And I want you to understand that. Uh, God didn't wait for you to do something good and say, oh, because they did something good, now I want to have an intimate relationship with them. God desired to have an intimate relationship with you before you were ever created, before the earth was ever created, before the earth was ever formed, before there was an ocean, before there, there were any creatures in the sea or creatures on the land or birds in the air. Now, that's the kind of love that our Father has for the elect, for His children. So we see it was foreordained by God. That is what foreknowledge really means. So in short, if you're taking notes, write this down. It is the all-powerful sovereign. The all-powerful sovereign turning toward the helpless subject in full intimacy and affection. He holds nothing back from those he has foreknown. He is turning to us in eternity past. It's not the other way around. It's not the subject coming toward the sovereign like many people get out of order, unfortunately. It is a sovereign turning toward the subject even before the world as we know it existed. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says this in verse 3. It says, But the man who loves God is known by God. I want you to pay attention to that closely because it's just a few words. Think of the depths of that. The man who loves God is known by God. Uh, in essence, what that says is before you could ever love God, you were known by God. You were known by God in eternity past. That word know there, or known, that is that word, gnosko. He says, but the man who loves God is affectionately and intimately loved by God. Opposed to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, we know how that goes. There's no sense turning there. I'll just give it to you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall I enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. For many on that day will say, did not we cast out demons in your name? Did not we prophesy in your name? Did not we perform miracles in your name? And Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me, I never gnoscoed you. 
And he never gnosko'd them. Now watch, they had a profession. They thought. They had good deeds. They thought. There was a missing element. That missing element was what? Foreknowledge. It was that he never knew them. It's not that he knew them. For the Armenians who say that you can fall from grace. It's not that he knew them and then that he unknew them. He said, I never had an intimate relationship with you. Period. I never knew you. So in looking at those two instances of Gnoskos in Scripture, we can see this. That those of us who have an intimate relationship with God through Christ, we have that relationship because in eternity past, God in His foreknowledge decreed, and we're going to talk about that a lot tonight, He decreed to love us with an affectionate love. Now, many people will say, well man, that means that God just chooses to not gnosko people. Watch. Yes. We're going to see when we get to chapter 9, He has the right to do that because He's the potter. Now, what that does for me is this. It doesn't make me say, oh, what a mean God. If He would have saved one of us scoundrels, it is grace beyond anything that we could even imagine. Yet in eternity past, He has set aside a whole people for His name through His set foreknowledge. That means this. In eternity past, and we're going to talk about that a lot today, and I'm going to tell you this. You're going to have to disengage your human mind for a second. When we talk about eternity past, that means this. God intimately knew Kirk Hall in eternity past and elected him and predestined him to receive salvation at an appointed time. That's the kind of love and the kind of grace that our Heavenly Father has. Now watch this. Knowing full well not the good things that I would do, though He knew the good things that I would do, Knowing the true scoundrel that I am apart from Jesus Christ. He still, in His sovereign will, chose to love me in spite of me. Now, grace just got bigger if you understand that biblically. That's why I don't want to look at non-biblical or to believe non-biblical ideas about foreknowledge. So let's read the text. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. We could stay in the intro all day long. but Let's get to the, the meat of this. 8.29, it says this, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. We will cover four things tonight. You have a sheet in front of you. Write these things down. Take as many notes as you can. Those four things that we're going to look at, first we'll look at the objects of foreknowledge. Then we'll look at the origin of foreknowledge, the operation of foreknowledge, and then we'll see the outcome of foreknowledge. What, what does foreknowledge put into motion? We're going to see a lot. In fact, the next few weeks we're going to see the whole Orta Salutis and how God's foreknowledge allows it to happen. So, let's look at the objects of foreknowledge. The objects of foreknowledge. There's an interesting word here, and I want you to see that. Uh, it says this in 29. Read it with me. For those. Those. Now, underline that word in your Bible or highlight or write it down in your notes. Those. Very important word. I believe the key to correctly interpreting foreknowledge lies in this particular pronoun. Those. Because what he's not referring to in using those, he's not referring to decisions. He's not referring to choices that man makes. Or to good deeds, or good works, or efforts. He's referring to those who are people. Every time foreknowledge is used in regard to salvation in the New Testament, pay attention to this, it is always in reference to God's relationship with people. Those he foreknew. You say, why is that so important? Why is it so important that we key in on this particular pronoun, those? 
because he is referring to his predetermined children. He is referring here to the elect, the brothers in Christ. We can see if we look at it in its complete context, he said Jesus was raised up to be the firstborn among many, what? Brothers. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about the brothers, those whom he foreknew. It's very important because if you look at it from a bad definition of foreknowledge, it can't be talking about people. It must be talking about a decision because the bad definition of foreknowledge says God looks into time and sees a decision. He sees a choice. He sees a work. He sees you do something. That's not a brother, is it? No. That's why their definition of foreknowledge is bad. He foreknows people. He foreknows the brethren, the elect, those who are predestined to salvation. So we see that the objects of foreknowledge have to be, in this context, those. Now we have to find out who those are. It's real simple. We read on and we find out they are talking, he is talking about those, and, and those are in reference to the brothers. His predetermined elect children. Now, I know if we use the term predetermined and elect a lot, people get nervous. So you're going to be nervous tonight because we are going to use the terms predetermined and elect a lot. Why? Because Scripture talks about it. Now, he is referencing here not only the predetermined children, the elect, the brothers. He is only talking about those he predetermined as his children. He already knows. Did you know this? The angels rejoice in heaven when someone's saved, but God doesn't have to. Because He knew in eternity past. He knew in eternity past that He foreknew you, that He predestined you, that He called you, that He elected you, that you have been regenerated by the power of His Holy Spirit. He made it all happen. When the angels in heaven rejoice, He sits back and says, yes, I've rescued another one for my glory. So as we look at this, please see the objects of foreknowledge. It's very important that we see that. The objects are those. The brethren. John chapter 10, he talks about this. He says in verse 27, My sheep listen to my voice. I, Gnosko, I know them, and they follow me. You know why you followed Christ when you heard His voice at salvation? Not because you made a good decision that day. Because He foreknew you in eternity past. He had already counted you as one of His sheep. You were already one of the brothers, the brethren. You just hadn't gotten in on it yet. But my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them, who does he give eternal life? The sheep. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Now, to read that and to still be Armenian is to totally disregard the truth. He is saying to us plainly here, those who I foreknow, who I have foreknown since eternity past, they are those, the brother, the brethren, the church, the elect. And when they hear my voice, what do they do? They follow me. And they follow Him. Where do they follow Him to? They follow Him to eternal life. They follow Him to the fact that they'll never perish. They follow Him to the security that He gives them, the perseverance and faith that He and He alone secures for them that no man can snatch them from the Father's hand. So we see John testifies to the fact that God's predetermined sheep will follow His voice. We get frustrated from time to time because we see others who are not following His voice. Do you know why they're not following His voice? For the same reason that we who are among the elect are. They're not following His voice because they are not His sheep. Plain and simple. Now that doesn't mean that at any time He could include them and rescue them, that He has already foreknown them, and it's just not their appointed time, we know that that happens. We give a general gospel call week after week after week after week. Some people respond to that call and are saved by the faith that God gives them. Some people hear that general call, they say, I'm not sure about this Jesus stuff. Then they come in on a Mother's Day, and we preach about being a godly mother, and the Holy Spirit grabs them and gets a hold of them and shakes them up, draws them out of darkness and into light. They know at that moment, I guarantee you, that they were chosen by God, that they were foreknown in eternity past, that they are now one of the brethren. They were made one of the brethren because they were foreknown in eternity past. So we see the objects of foreknowledge, those. Don't forget that. His predetermined children, the elect, brothers in Christ, only those he predetermined as his children will ever receive election, will ever become a part of his sheep. 
because it's based on his foreknowledge alone. We, we learned last week an interesting term, monergism. It is him doing the work. Without foreknowledge, it doesn't begin with God. It begins with man. And it cannot be all of God if it begins with man, can it? In fact, Jeremiah says an interesting statement there at the beginning of Jeremiah, verse 5. He says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. When? Before he was ever in the womb. You think about that for a second. In eternity past, and this is for all the people who don't like to really embrace the true doctrine of foreknowledge in, in our day, who think it's not biblical, they love it because they'll misquote Jeremiah all the time. They love it in the Old Testament. It's when we get into the New Testament that it kind of cramps their style, right? But he had the ability to foreknow Jeremiah, didn't he? When? Before he was ever in the womb. In fact, he didn't only foreknow him before he was in the womb. Before he was born, he set him apart. He had a plan for his life. He set him apart as a prophet. And he appointed him to the nations. You think about that for a second. That sounds like the sovereign God who I've been talking about in Scripture who nobody wants to believe in these days. Like he's in control of all things from the beginning to the end. Psalm 139, verse 15 the psalmist wrote this. He said, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. He said, What place is he talking about? The secret. Secret. I don't know. Somewhere in eternity past. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I want you to see God's operation here. He wrote down every single day of your life, including the day that you came to know Jesus Christ personally. He preordained that day for you based on His foreknowledge. We see that God's foreknowledge is very important because in seeing His foreknowledge, we can then see the objects of His foreknowledge. Those who He sovereignly chose to know in eternity past. We see the objects of foreknowledge, those. The next thing that we see in this verse is the origin of foreknowledge. Where does foreknowledge come from? For those, the next word, God foreknew. The origin of foreknowledge is God Himself. That's amazing to me. There, there didn't need to be some outside source. All of you in this room, somebody had to teach you everything that you know. Somebody had to enlighten you to everything that you have been enlightened to. Not so with God. He is the origin of His own foreknowledge. Now, try to understand that for a second and then back off because you're going to get blown away. But I know this. No one had to create God's foreknowledge and give it to Him as a gift. No one had to teach Him about foreknowledge so that He could use it. It is who He is. It is what He, he does. He is His own origin in regard to foreknowledge. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the holy uncreated one. Right? So in eternity past, and I know we can't fathom that just as much as we can't fathom eternity future. Eternity past, God has no beginning. God has no end. He was not created. He was not made. His foreknowledge is not subject to any outside source, force, knowledge, wisdom, or anything else. He is the origin of His own foreknowledge. Foreknowledge originated with God Himself. Man plays zero role in foreknowledge. You know how I know? Because it said that. It says it right here. For those God foreknew. He lets you know right there. It is God who does the foreknowing. Those, His brethren, who He foreknows, are only foreknown because of God Himself. So the origin of foreknowledge we know is God. Job said it like this. Job chapter 23, verse 13. But he stands alone. And who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. Oh, we could stop there and that could be the verse of the night, couldn't it? That would settle so many theological debates and arguments. He carries out his decree against me. And many such plans he still has in store. This is Job looking at all the things that have happened in his life. He's saying this. 
God foreordained all of this. That is why I'm terrified before Him when I think of all this. I fear Him. You know why people don't like to think about the foreknowledge of God? Because it places them into a position of fearing the terror of God. Now, you say, well, I don't think that it's healthy that we fear the terror of God. It was healthy for Job. Job understood this. He understood that every bad thing that happened to him happened only because God foreordained for it to happen. He allowed it to happen. In fact, he orchestrated it so that it would happen so that in the end, God could receive greater glory. Now, here we are thousands of years later reading the story of Job, and God is still receiving glory. I believe Job is rejoicing because of it. Because he understood. He understood that God stands alone. No one can oppose Him. He does whatever He pleases. So the origin of foreknowledge is God Himself. 1 Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The foreknowledge of who? God. The foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. We see Peter understood the foreknowledge of God in electing and choosing His own children, sanctifying them through the Spirit, moving them to obedience in Christ because of His atoning blood. So we see the origin of foreknowledge is God. It always has been God, always will be God. No one else has the ability to foreknow anything. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Turn over there in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 8, 3. We're going to look at that a couple times tonight. Go ahead and you can put your finger there. Again, I already quoted it once, but the man who loves God is known by God. It was God who made the first move. When did God make the first move? In eternity past, why did God make the first move? Was it based on you? No, it was based on Him. He made the first move without even consulting you. Why? Just as Job said, He doesn't have to consult anyone. He does whatever He pleases. If you're saved in this room today, let me say this. Are you listening? It pleased the Father to save you. It pleased the Father to save you. Now watch this. It pleased the Father to save you in eternity past. Because He desired intimacy with you before you were ever a part of this earth before you were ever created. So we see it was God, the origin of foreknowledge in eternity past. I told you we would be using this term a lot. Eternity past, Second Timothy chapter 1 says this, verse 8, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 9 says, Who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Watch this. Not because of anything we have done. He didn't save me because He looked into time and saw me do something good. He didn't have to. He saved me because He is good in eternity past. He is gracious in eternity past. He is loving in eternity past. He is merciful in eternity past. That's who He is. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Have you noticed when we study Scripture correctly, man shrinks and God increases in size? Before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. He says He gave us grace in Christ before the beginning of time. And then He says, and it's now being revealed in Christ Jesus, the Savior, who has destroyed death. So at the appointed time, Jesus came to the cross and died. Now, it wasn't like God was sitting on His throne and said, Oh no, man needs a Savior. I must send Jesus. In eternity past, God knew that you would need a Savior and He loved you with an unfathomable love before you were ever created. And He put into motion and orchestrated a plan to make sure that all those who He has foreknown in eternity past would be with Him for all eternity in Christ Jesus, washed of all your sin, cleansed of all your iniquity, elected and chosen as a child of God. The origin of foreknowledge is God. The origin of foreknowledge is God in eternity past. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom. Wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. 
None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. I love when people quote the last part of that verse, but they miss the first part that talks about the hidden things and that God destined us for glory before time ever began. Don't forget that. When you look at Scripture, make sure that you look at all of it and all the things that surround it. Because the origin of foreknowledge is God Himself in eternity past. It was God Himself in eternity past according to His sovereign decree. He foreknows the elect only because He has decreed it so. When God decrees something, you've already made this distinction. Does it happen or is it a maybe? It happens. And he has decreed in his foreknowledge to predestine all of the elect. Isaiah says this in chapter 14, verse 24, The Lord Almighty has sworn surely as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will stand. I will crush the Assyrian in my land. On my mountains I will trample him down. His yoke will be taken from my people and his burden removed from their shoulders. This is the plan determined for the whole world. This is the hand stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? What we see here is we see a God here that Isaiah is referencing. We see a God that he, he is referencing here who is not limited by the decrees of man. But in His sovereign decree, whatever He says is going to happen, whatever He sets into motion, is going to come to be. I want to give you an example. Has God decreed gravity? And He's faithful to what He decrees. He's faithful to what He decrees. You walked on the ground all day today. You didn't fly off into space. I promise you, gravity is here not because some scientist made some law. Maybe a scientist discovered a law that what, what comes up must come down. However, God decreed it, therefore it is so. So if God has decreed in eternity past to foreknow a people for His namesake and His glory, those people will come to Christ as His chosen people. Guaranteed. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. We see the objects of foreknowledge, the origin of foreknowledge, the objects of those origin God Himself in eternity past according to His sovereign decree. I'm thankful that He has decreed to foreknow me in eternity past because that sealed my fate eternally before I was ever here. Many people don't like this doctrine because it makes God really, really big. And it seems like we are completely out of control. You have just stepped into the reality that you are out of control and God is very, very big. Congratulations. You're one step ahead of 85 to 90% of all modern evangelicalism. We see next the operation of foreknowledge. How does he operate in foreknowledge? It's a very interesting term. It's a term predestination. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. Here's how his foreknowledge moves into operation. God predetermined to love us based on foreknowledge. In that love, He predestines us. Or that word, so that you can understand it more clearly, He marks us out or He appoints us as His children for salvation. We've read it many times. We will read it again tonight. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Every time I get to this part, I'm reminded that most of the time when people want to give a rebuttal to predestination, they say this, it just doesn't seem very loving. In love, right there at the end of verse 4 or the beginning of verse 5, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Predestination has everything to do with love. Not your definition of love here in time and space. God's definition of love. 
the fact that He loved you in eternity past through His foreknowledge. And in His foreknowledge, that intimacy that He has for you and with you, through that we see then the operation of this foreknowledge in the form of what we call predestination. Where God in His predetermined love for you, marks you, sets you aside, appoints you, sets you out as His children for salvation in Christ Jesus. Those God foreknows, He predestines for His chosen end. It is for His purpose and His will. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, it says, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestinated, predestined, according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. How many things does God work out in conformity with the purpose of His will? Everything, it says. Did He leave anything out? No, He covered it. Everything. So let me ask you this. Salvation for you as an individual. Did God work that out for you in conformity with His perfect will? That would definitely fall under the category of everything. The fact that you're here in this room tonight, would you say that would fall under the category of everything that you're here tonight because God sovereignly chose for you to be here tonight? Does He have that right? Of course He has that right. You say, but I drove myself here. Yes, you did in your own mind. You did practically. But I guarantee you this, had God not sovereignly allowed you to be here, you wouldn't be here. Something would have come up. And so as we look at this, we see the operation of His foreknowledge in regard to soteriology or salvation as we know it. We see that predestination is the operation of this. This is where foreknowledge comes into complete action. Those He foreknows, He predestines for His chosen end. So we see predestination is the operation of foreknowledge. Predestination is put into effect and brought to fulfillment because of God's foreknowledge based on His sovereign decree alone. Not based on anything else. I told you I was going to give you the proper definition of foreknowledge. It's not that God looked into time and saw you make the right decision. He didn't have to. What kind of wimpy God is that? What kind of impotent, powerless God is that who would have to look into time? That's not the God of Scripture. The God of Scripture knows everything. The beginning from the end. He knows every day that you're ever going to live and He's written them down in a book. It's been decreed. Can I tell you this? Every one of you in this room will die on the exact day that you were supposed to die, in the exact way that you were supposed to die, the exact manner, to the exact degree. And there's nothing that you can do about it. Nothing. Because it's already been decreed in His sovereignty. The same as the fact that if you're saved here today, you were foreknown in eternity past. Therefore, God predestined you that is the operation of His foreknowledge. He predestined you to be saved. There was nothing that you could do to change that. Uh, could you have sinned any more than you did? Uh, if you're like me, no. I was pretty much maxed out. But it didn't disqualify me. Aren't you thankful that He foreknew me? I'm thankful that He foreknew me because if it would have, it would have been just limited to Him looking into time, He might have looked into time and saw me at a bad place. And so, ooh, no, not that guy. God's not limited like that. In fact, in eternity past, He foreknew me and He predestined me not based on me, my good works, my good deeds, definitely not my good looks. He based those things on His sovereign desire and purpose and plan and will. Now, when you begin to start understanding that, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, you won't fully get that. You can't, in your human, depraved, fleshly minds, contain all that. I guarantee you. When you begin to get a glimpse of that, oh, don't you find yourself there with Job? That is why I'm terrified before him. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have no fear of the Lord in our culture anymore because we don't talk about the God of Scripture. We talk about the God that man wants God to be. This is the God of Scripture who in eternity past, in His foreknowledge, predestined you receive salvation through Jesus Christ for His chosen end, for His will, and for His glory. Not based on anything that you could ever do. The foreknown will believe unto salvation. Why? 
Because of God's election and predestination. Because He foreknew you and He is going to then predestine you in eternity past. You will then receive that effectual calling from the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about if you're saved here today. That, that day where you can no longer resist. That day where your life was flipped upside down. It was almost as if you were changed from darkness to light. That drastic. It's all because He foreknew you and He predestined you. There was nothing that you could do to thwart, as we read in Isaiah, to thwart Him. Or to thwart His plan. Or to thwart His sovereign desire. The foreknown will believe unto salvation because of election and predestination in perfect accordance with God's good pleasure. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, 1, excuse me, verse 5 again. Let me remind you, in love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. And when I think about that, grace becomes humongous. That He purposed. He purposed to know me. It was His will to know me. Now listen, here's the thing. This is what blows me away. I know what I have to offer a holy, perfect, sovereign God. And that is nothing times one million. I have nothing to offer Him. However, He so sovereignly chose to foreknow me and to predestine me unto salvation. We've seen the objects of foreknowledge, the origin of foreknowledge, the operation of foreknowledge, which is His predestination and election. Now I want you to see this in the last part, the outcome of foreknowledge. The outcome. What is this all about? Because people will say this. I'm one of them. Why would He ever foreknow me? How unbelievable is this? Why would He ever foreknow me and predestine me to be saved? What, what is the purpose behind this? What, what is the outcome? What is He trying to produce? Why is this His will? Read on. For those God foreknew, He also predestined, watch this, to be conformed to the likeness the image, some of your manuscripts say, of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Oh, many brothers. I'm thankful tonight to be in a room with many brothers who in eternity past were foreknown by a sovereign God predestined to election and salvation. Why? What is the whole point of this? What should the outcome be of God's foreknowledge? Why did He know me intimately in eternity past? Why? Why is this happening? What is this all about? He answers it for us there. Christ-likeness. Write it down. Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is not the cause of foreknowledge. Please understand that. He doesn't see you become more like Christ and then say, okay, I'm going to foreknow them now. What did that Scripture just tell us? It just told us the order of how it goes. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. Christ's likeness is not the cause of foreknowledge and predestination, but it is the effect. The purpose of foreknowledge is to raise up a people of His choosing for His glory. Soli Deo Gloria. I told you those things would be popping up all the time. For His glory alone. Because if He had to, in the bad definitions of foreknowledge, look into time to see me do something good, I could receive glory for that. But he is not about my glory. Please understand that. He is about His glory. And the only way that I bring Him glory is in a Christ-like state. He has foreknew me and predestined me to conform to the image of Christ. It is Christ's likeness that is the outcome of foreknowledge. He is raising up for Himself a people who believe, who repent of sin, who desire holiness. Aren't those all characteristics of Christ? Who reflect obedience to God and His Word? Arthur Pink said it like this, election is the cause, our believing is the effect. Oh, when we get that in the proper order, our understanding becomes clear. It's monergism. It's God doing this work from beginning 
to the middle, to the end, so that He can receive all the glory. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How far in advance did He prepare these works? Was it when He saw you do the right thing that you never could have done on your own? No, it was an eternity past. That He decreed that you would be like Christ. That He in His foreknowledge predestined you to the good works that you are now able to do through the Holy Spirit who indwells all of the elect. Salvation, soteriology, just got really big, didn't it? It's more than walk the aisle, pray the prayer, ask Jesus into your heart. That's simple. That's weak. That's something that we could do on our own. If we could save ourselves, why did Jesus come to die? Because there was a bigger plan. That bigger plan was God's foreknowledge in eternity past. He knew you intimately. And because He knew you intimately and He loved you, He lavished His love upon you your entire life so that He could bring you to that point where you could see it, where you would repent of your sin, you would by faith trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and His plan would come to pass just as He decided it would in eternity past, would be happening right now in the present. That's where we live. Every day that I get to preach the Gospel, I get to preach the Gospel not because I woke up and had this cool desire inside of me because of me to preach the truth. I get to preach the truth because in eternity past, He prepared that good work in advance for me to do. Oh, won't our Christian lives change when we see how big God really is? He didn't save you so you can continue to live the way you used to live. People who think that they can still live the way that they used to live, I don't believe that they were foreknown. I don't believe that they are of the elect. That hurts people's feelings when you say that. People say, man, I can't believe how people can see this. They call right wrong, and they call wrong right, and they call light darkness, and they call darkness light. How can this be? It can be because they don't understand. Because they're still in their darkness. I'm thankful that in eternity past, God sovereignly chose to not allow me to stay in my darkness and in my sin. That He rescued me from myself, my sin, and from a certain condemnation in hell. I was left to my own demise. He rescued us. He rescued us before we were ever alive as we know life. So we see the outcome of foreknowledge is Christ's likeness. He is conforming those who are the elect to the image of Christ. Now, if you're not being conformed to the image of Christ, you have great cause to be concerned, don't you? According to the Word of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He goes down in verse 19 of that same chapter, First John chapter 4, he says, we love because He first loved us. As the elect, as those who are foreknown and predestined, we will see the operation. We will see the operation of God's election, God's foreknowledge, In the form of Christ likeness in our life. In the form of Christ likeness in our life. The ultimate goal of God's foreknowledge, the ultimate goal of His predestination and His election, is that you will bring glory to Him because He has brought you from death to life, making you like Christ. Again, monergism. He, do, he who is doing all of the work so that He can receive. All of the glory. The elect. Let me remind you of this. This is why Scripture says to make your calling and election sure. To work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The elect will be conforming to the image of Christ. In our lifestyles, we won't be trying to justify our lifestyle. In our obedience, 
We won't be trying to justify our sins, even our small sins. We'll be convicted of that. Why? Because whom He foreknew, we love foreknowledge, He loved me in eternity past, He did also predestine, and He predestined me to conform to the image of His Son. He predestined me to Christ-likeness. Don't forget, that is the outcome of foreknowledge. We look like Christ in our obedience, in our suffering, in our love, and so on and so forth. Humility. All the things that we see displayed in Jesus Christ. Why? Why did He say? Because He wants people to recognize when they see us. They're a child of God too. They are among the brothers. Why? Because Jesus was a firstborn among many brothers. That's the result. That's what He desires to see. Why? Because He receives glory then, doesn't He? Let's conclude with this. Why is it important? Right? Because I've given you a bunch of theological things tonight. Why is it important that we understand God's foreknowledge and that we see this is the starting place of the Order Salutis? I told you we'll be in the Order Salutis for several lessons. The reason that is, it is important is because when we see foreknowledge for what it is, then and only then will we see Him and Him alone as the true author of salvation. It's important to understand because when we do, gentlemen, listen to me, when we do get this, we will no longer accept a false gospel or a weak gospel or a false salvation or a false assurance that doesn't move a person to conform to the image of Christ. The whole reason that He foreknew us and predestinated us the whole reason is that He did that was to raise up sons who bring Him glory. Those God foreknew, He also predestined to, conform, to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. God chose to lavish His love on His sons. The same love that the Father has for Christ. Did you know that? Did you know that? Just as the Father loved the Son in eternity past, He loved all of His sons with the same love in eternity past. Uh, you let that grip you for a second. You don't think it's the same? Look in John chapter 17 as Jesus prays in verse 26. He says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for Me may be in them, and that I Myself may be in them. What an amazing thing when we come to the conclusion that in eternity past, the God of this universe loves each and every one of His elect chosen sons with the same love that He had for Jesus Christ the Son, the firstborn among many brethren. To miss this wonderful doctrine or to tweak it or to somehow humanize it is to change the entire doctrine of salvation. And it is to rob God of the glory that belongs to Him and Him alone. I don't know about you, but I stand with the biblical doctrine and teaching of the foreknowledge, the predestination of God that causes us and molds us and makes us into the image of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your love. Lord, we thank You that Your love was not something that we could ever earn. Lord, I know this. Kirk Hall would have fallen extremely short. But I thank You that Your love was an eternity past. You foreknew me and You loved me with the intimate love that You have for Jesus the Christ. God, I thank You that You lavished that love upon us in Christ, demonstrating to us the fullness of Your love there at the cross. God, I pray for the young man, the old man, anyone in our midst here today who does not know 
the love of Christ has not received you as Lord and Savior that today, Lord, you would open their eyes that they might hear the voice of the Master for the first time, knowing full well that it is only because in eternity past you chose to save them in this moment. That here in the time and the space that we live in, you would save their souls. That you would allow them in on the wonderful plan of salvation that you have for all of those who believe and trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty of your salvation. May you receive all the glory and all the honor for it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.